Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. It is Spotify rap season, but it is also course discount season because we're feeling very festive. But before I tell you about all the things that we're going to be giving away, which is hundreds of dollars worth of value, this is the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name there is Daniel Foch, and I'm doing... <laughs> I'm trying out a new thing, man. I'm trying I like this, it. I uh, like it. No intro, intro thing. You know, I hear a lot of guys do it because we got the we got that hype intro before us. There's like way the more hype than us. And like all <laughs> yeah, that. there's like a money cha-ching thing in the background. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I like it. Hey, let's do it. Daniel Foch, real estate broker, investor, director of economic research at a company called Rare Real Estate, and I'm joined here by the one, the only, Nick Hill. Thanks, Dan. Nick Hill, uh, investor, partner at Land Bank, and lucky enough to be co-host of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. Dan, it's Christmas season, but what other season is it? Spotify rap season. That's what I started with. I, yeah. I, I probably killed the hype. Well, going back to it. Yeah, yeah. it's Spotify rap season. And, and for the few dozen people that shared their podcast wrapped with us or on Instagram, thank you so much. It means the world to us. Keep them coming. The the rap stuff is so funny, honestly. I've seen a bunch of reels of people like editing their spot, Spotify music. It's like, just stick to what you like, guys. Although actually it reminds me of, do you remember Last <laughs> FM, like last.fm? It was like mm-hmm. Spotify before you had Spotify. You could like get a this like app that hooked up to your iTunes and like tracked how much plays you had. And I was like the number one listener for this band. <laughs> Still my favorite band, actually, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff coming about the the Spotify rap. I, I, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I'll send it to you after if you haven't. It's like this buddy getting into a car and congratulating his friend. He's like, bro, I just saw your Spotify rap. You renaissance man. Kanye, Drake, Jack Harlow, Tabin Paula. What don't you listen to? I shouldn't even be looking at you in the eyes. A top 1% listener of Drake, bro. Congrats. Seriously, you earned it. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> I, I like the, the spinoff memes of all of it too. Like the, the broke agent. I uh, did a funny one that was like the Realtors 2023 rap list. And it's like yeah. 8,000 hours spent <laughs> listening to other people tell you how much they know about real estate. 6,000 hours spent waiting for documents to go from viewed to completed. 4,000 hours spent writing an offer that you knew you weren't going to get accepted. Yeah. And I think our personal favorite, 365 days of taking ice baths and posting motivational quotes. I think it's funny that you have an ice bath in your condo building, by the way. Like that's the most liberty it is. thing in the world. And and you know what's funny is that the really sexy, really expensive gym that I now go to has a sauna and a steam room and two hot tubs, but they don't have the cold plunge and tons of realtors go there and a lot of them listen to this show and they'll know what I'm talking about. And when I was in the gym getting like my consultation, like my first month was completed. They're like, what would be one thing that you would change about here? I'm like, you got to get an ice bath. Did you actually say that? Oh yeah. I was like, know your audience. (laughs) Oh man. So I'm a, we, you said you were going to cheer me on the show about this, but I I do cold showers. I've been doing it for a long time. It was like Tony Robbins guy, right? Like big Tony Robbins fan back in the day. This guy was like cold showers, something about mammals, like jumping in the water when they first wake up. Like, I don't know. There's like, this is before like bro science got into ice baths. Like Tony Robbins (laughs) was selling me that stuff hard, but like, this is the cool part. Shower, private. Nobody needs to know about it, right? Been doing it for like a decade now. And and you've never posted about never it? Posted, never posted, never told anyone. I stopped doing it like a while ago. Life changes led to me taking warm showers more often. But, you know, I, I think maybe I should 
let everybody know. Maybe just do a post about it. I guess this is me doing it. This is my post. There we go. Yeah, here we cut are. this into a reel and then be like, <laughs> guys, I do ice bath too. And then put, put motivational quotes over it. You know, when I'm up at 3.30 in the morning, it's just Mark Wahlberg and I doing our workouts. I do wake up insanely early as well, but that's yeah. yeah. Well, that's the worst part of it, guys. If you're listening to that, that's the worst part about having a business partner that gets up really early because Dan's a 5 a.m. guy. And I, I used to be like a 6, 6.30 a.m. guy. And now I'm a freaking 5 a.m. guy too because that's when, you know, I started getting messages from Dan at like 4.58 and 5.20 and stuff like that. And I'm like- Crushing the to-do list like, Nick, I need your help on this. Yeah, and I'm like, I can't let this guy task. get this ahead. What the heck? <laughs> Anyways, hilarious stuff. Let's start things off with today's news article, by the way, everybody. Uh, we've got a lot of news to cover, so we're almost done with the banter here. But before we get into it, we want to start things off with a, because it's not all great news, so we're going to start things off on a happy note. Like great, but slightly risque review, if you will. Five stars. The title here is Relevant relatable and reliable content. And that's from Jenna Banana. I quote, Dan and Nick, join me in the shower every Tuesday and Friday morning. Jenna, please, our girlfriends both, I think, listen to this show still. They might not anymore, but they did for a while. (laughs) Their topics touch on all the questions I've ever had about real estate investing. Their banter is entertaining, and it's clear that they know their stuff. Thanks for the reliable and well-researched content. Five stars. That is obviously not a Tony Robbins cold shower. Like, to, <laughs> how do you digest an entire podcast episode in the shower? Forty-five minutes of cold. That's Seriously. aggressive. Anyway. She must be a top performer for sure. So let's just jump to the news here. Okay. So okay. This so- is this is from a CBC article: Ontario real estate law update with open bidding option enters into force. Okay, now, if you remember, we actually did a whole episode on this back when it was first confirmed that it would come into effect. So if you want a full episode on this, because this will only be like the next two minutes, go back to episode 76. It's titled Open Bidding Will Affect, sorry, How Open Bidding Will Affect Real Estate Prices. So if you want the full scope and what Dan and I really think and and digest it, go back to that. But we'll just do a little kind of, you know, reminder here and and maybe a little bit of banter dance. So start us off. What is what does it actually mean? Yeah, so it's called the Trust in Real Estate Services Act, the one that you're referring to. So like so CREA did it on a national level, but Tressa is an Ontario legislature. It's called Trust in Real Estate Services Act or Tressa, which is a funny name. Like and I mean speaks to itself in addressing in the first word perhaps what is the biggest pain point in the industry, which is it's just like you know, the, the nomenclature, the naming of this thing is, is ironic in my perspective. But anyway, Trust in Real Estate Services Act, new rules for Ontario real estate are coming into force that are meant to provide more clarity and choice for buyers and sellers, though they don't go as far as some people had hoped. And we're hearing a ton about this in the US with lawsuits, successful lawsuits, by the way, mm-hmm. where their home sellers are suing in Illinois. They won like a $1.8 billion class action lawsuit. There's a new one in in one of the southern states. I want to say Texas, maybe. Anyway, it'll likely happen in every state. And then buyers launched another one in Illinois, a follow-up one in Illinois to piggyback on it. And there's a similar one. I think we mentioned it. We talked about it on this show in, in, this, in the GTA where the Toronto Real Estate Board, as well as a couple of brokerages are being sued for something similar. A, a home seller launched a class action lawsuit. And so the 
real estate regulatory framework is trying to adapt by cre- creating a more trustworthy environment to avoid Sounds getting- Sounds like a good idea. But that's where this article says, you know, they don't go as far as some people had hoped. So it says the rules took effect December 1st, so just a couple of days ago. And it, it includes the option for sellers to use an open bidding process. And I think like they can basically just decide halfway through to disclose everything and that it becomes an open bidding process, but as well as an improvement to disclosures and ways to avoid conflicts on multiple representation. And, and just for context, and we'll go all the way to the West Coast here, multi-rep isn't even allowed in, in BC, right? So, and then BC came out with that cooling off period as well. So this is where people are saying, you know, like it's not like Ontario is really not going as far as they need to, I don't think, when it comes to creating a, a more safe environment for buyers and sellers. Also, statistically, this thing came out after in the US, 43% of sellers don't know that they pay the buyer agent. Like, how, how it like, like agents aren't telling people this? Like, this know. is like, I mean, this is the keeping of information. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It is a, it's a good question. So, the open bidding option gives a seller the choice to disclose submitted bid prices to potential purchasers, something they were previously banned from doing. I think it was like a little bit of a, it was a, it was a contract law thing in Ontario, like in order to, you know, there was a layer that, that made it difficult to, it was kind of like, which, which law does this belong? Is, is it more jurisdicted by, right? So, Open bidding has been advocated by some as a way to reduce rampant overbidding in the real estate to help reduce prices. Do you think that that is true? I'm I'm curious. Do I think that overbidding, open bidding, open, open bidding, bidding? Would, would would reduce prices or help yeah. to help to reduce help to help to make housing affordability not so bad? Sorry, you said open bidding. I heard overbidding, and I, I guess you know, they're, that, they're so they're so similar at this point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, we'll keep this quick because we did a full episode kind of on this on this concept, which again exists elsewhere in the world. You know, I'd like to think that it would help, but at the same time, like if I know that someone else is going to win a property and the delta is is you know five, ten, or, or twenty thousand, and even if I've picked my my top, like I'm not going past you know. I don't know, 600,000 or I'm not going past a million bucks and some, then, you know, the next person there is at, you know, a million dollars and a million 30,000. I might go, you know, do you go, do I go like, you know, the auctioneer, do I go to a million 31 and then a million 40, you know, I I feel like I could go either way. Yeah. So, the most notable example that we have. So it is, it is like, I think that there's two different ways of thinking about it. So number one is like, and you hear these examples of like, okay, there's two offers in on the property. Properties listed at a million bucks. Bidder one bids 900 grand, right? They come in under and bidder two bids 1.5 million. It's like, okay, that's a clear economic yeah. waste. And that person that sucks and they just overpaid by $600,000, right? But then, you know, there's the other thing where you, if you see... If you see somebody else who's willing to pay a million, then why wouldn't you just pay? Like then you can just decide, okay, oh yeah, I'm I'm comfortable overpaying by twenty five k because some people are right. So yeah, that's what I mean. I think I could mess with people's heads. Well, because then it just keeps getting bid up, right? It's like what is a silent auction or a uh, or like with the one with the guy like who's talking. I love those guys. <laughs> yeah, is that is, which one gets the prices higher? I guess we don't really know. There's probably some, a data point on that, but well, interestingly enough, so we do have a. Comparison. We have a, a very good comparison, right? We have a, co- a country with high population growth from immigration. It's in the Commonwealth. It's large English speaking. It, lar- yeah, set, s- massive houses, just like Canada, right? Uh, the weather is far better, but yes, one 
catch. <laughs> All of the animals are trying to kill you. So <laughs> yeah. this place is called Australia. So if you look, if you go back to like Q1, 2000, let's just say since the start of this millennia. So in the year 2000, Australia's prices are 122% higher, real prices, so adjusted for inflation. And Canada's prices are 168% higher. And Australia has open bidding, by the way. Basically, just buyer agents, no listing agents. If you change that to nominal prices, so this is unadjusted for inflation, Australia is 250, 251% higher and Canada is 261% higher. So they're pretty close on both. Other than maybe the inflation adjusted. If you go back to 1970, Australia, these figures are nuts, by the way. This is going to blow your mind. But Australia's house prices, nominal house prices are up 4,600%. Wow. And Canada's, Canada's are up less, far less since 1970, just 2,500, only 2,500%. Oh, so, 25, so they've 25X since then. So, I mean, they're... I think, right, the, if you're just saying, okay, that's our closest comp, open bidding seems to be actually accelerating house prices. It's it's all those Aussies with the great voices and the and the fast talking auctioneers that are that are helping things out. I mean, look, it, I my, I used to go to auctions with with my dad as as a kid, and uh, I always found them to be both entertaining and hilarious. And Dan, when we did that other episode, we talked about Australia, and I remember distinctly that it it turns into a show, right? Like there's literally people that go and watch these bidding processes. Apparently, there is a spectator element. Yes, yeah, I, so, it's just funny, but you know, again, we we call we call Canadian real estate uh, Canada's extreme sport. Well, now it's an extreme spectator sport. So there you have it. Let's move on here, Dan. We haven't covered this yet. The Canadian mortgage charter, which has gotten some heat because people are saying it's kind of recycled and whatnot. So tell me about what it contains and maybe a bit about the guidelines there. Sure. Yeah. So in the spirit of it being the holidays, it is a bit of a re-gift. They're they're regifting <laughs> like some existing policies, so the charter contains six guidelines. So and and to be fair, I've reread this so many times. I did a YouTube video analyzing it where I called it like fake new rather than fake news. I was trying to be funny. Nobody liked it. It didn't hit. But anyway, <laughs> the the point is they did say they're like these are guidelines, so the banks don't even have to follow them, and they they kind of just say Canadians should expect like they didn't blatantly lie. So credit to them. They didn't lie. But the media took it as if it was like new. Like there were so many articles, like from good journalists, by the way, and good publications that are like unwinding the stress test, new mortgage rules, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, this is a list of things that already existed. OSFI clarified that the stress test does not apply on as an insured borrower. You can switch between lenders on a renewal. And because the risk belongs to the insurer and not the lender, you don't have to requalify at the stress test rate because your your insurance policy is for the life of your mortgage. So if you're insured CMHC insured mortgage, you're with TD, you switch to RBC. This insurance stays with CMHC. It doesn't. You don't have to redo the MQR minimum qualifying rate on the stress test. So OSFI clarified that about a month ago. A couple of months prior, there was there was a couple of other things that they. So anyway. The government Canadian mortgage charter says temporary extensions on the amortization period of mortgage holders. We've already seen this take place. And and just so you're aware, this is a little trick that very few people know, but if you claim, I, I don't know if I recommend this, but if you claim financial hardship to your lender, like lost a job, lost a leg, whatever, right? Like things happen in life. You can get an extension of up to up to a 40-year amortization with an, with an A lender. And this has been told to me by people who are very credible in the industry. So I haven't been able to verify that anywhere in writing, but that's 
that's a thing. So then the other one is waived fees and costs that would have otherwise been charged for mortgage relief measures, such as that or such as deferrals, which you know we knew when those came out. Okay, like this policy is worded as if it's going to be maybe reused in the future. Require banks to reach out to homeowners four to six months in advance of their mortgage renewal to afford them, inform them of affordability options. Nick, mortgage brokers don't call people before their renewals, right? Mortgage brokers barely call people as it is. They sit around <laughs> waiting bit. for calls. But but I mean, really, like your lender or your broker is going to call you four to six months out, yeah. typically, yeah. right? Well, so, that's that's how we get business, right? Like that's our duty to our clients is to is to be reaching out and be like, hey, you know, it's probably a good time to talk now. Also, if a bank, I mean, usually they're going to give you an early renewal option. Usually, I would say typically it serves them for you to accept that rate. Like a lot can change with Take, rates in a four to six Do not months. accept. Yeah. I'd be very, very weary of accepting that early renewal. It's usually several bips higher. Yeah. So the, the it does say in the list, exempt insured borrowers from requalifying under the stress test when switching lenders at the time of mortgage renewal that already exists. Again, it's a regift. Allow borrowers to make lump sum payments to avoid, avoid neg- negative amortization or sell their principal residence. So avoid negative amortization piece. I think that that one, that exists already. We know we've covered it in the trigger rate episode if you want to go back and listen to the trigger rate episode. But, or if they sell their principal residence without incurring prepayment penalties, that one I think is new and that could change things a lot, right? That is a big one for for a lot of people right now, especially. And I think that that may have a, a bit of a meaningful impact for some people in, yeah. in those tough and, situations. Yeah, no. So the important part on this is like they use the, the term at risk borrowers and vulnerable borrowers. And so this is where it's really important to discuss from my perspective, because if somebody could just be like, oh, I'm, I'm at risk, or like, I'm feeling pretty vulnerable today. Can I just get out of this fixed rate right now with no with no penalties? I mean, no bank would, no bank is going to do that, right? But if it's like somebody's actually at risk, like the, they've missed a mortgage payment or two, or have said that they're in a situation of financial hardship and they're in a workout with the bank, you know, and like a soft power of sale, well, the bank's probably already making those kind of compromises. So this is where it's the definition of vulnerable borrower is important from my perspective. So I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> ask yeah, actually, go ahead, if, please ask. Yeah. If only I had somebody who could define <laughs> difficult to understand terms for me. So, so yeah, I mean, the whole purpose of these guidelines were to get banks to react to these vulnerable or at-risk borrowers. So the mortgage treasurer actually does not define what a vulnerable borrower is. And the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, otherwise abbreviated as FACAC, guidelines define a consumer at risk as someone with an existing residential mortgage loan on their principal residence who is experiencing severe financial stress as a result of an exceptional circumstance and is at risk of mortgage default. You really sense it with that acronym. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad I don't have a line in this script because I would not be able to deliver right now. I, uh, I, I, I made a little Instagram reel about another FACAC study and uh, I, all the comments, I don't think anyone actually watched the video. They're, they're just like, what the heck is FACAC? It's, if it's F-C-A-C, it's probably not even, that's not how you pronounce it. But That's, that's an initialism, not an acronym. Exactly. Sir. There that's we a, go. That's a great 
great illustration of the difference. So when banks reach out to these to borrowers, so when we reach out to any one of their borrowers four to six months before their mortgages are up, borrowers can at that point explain their unique financial situations to their lenders. And those two parties, the lender and the borrower, can walk through options. Now, these banks don't independently decide who is at risk. It has a lot to do with arrears as well. So a mortgage in arrears is defined by the CBA, the Canadian Bankers Association, as one that has not been paid for at least three months. Uh, and Dan, we've talked about mortgage arrears on and off on the show since day one. You know, it always gets news because mortgage arrears are, are a very bad thing. But according to that Canadian Bankers Association data, there are fo- over 5 million, almost 5.1 million mortgages in Canada as of September 30th in 2023. And 0.16% or a mere 8,140 were in arrears. And that percentage is up from 0.14, so it's up 0.02% from August of 2022, which was the lowest percentage of arrears since January of 1995 when it hit 0.5%, so half a percentage. Any takeaways from this, Dan? I know you've done a lot of reading on on the mortgage arrears and, and put together some data on this. Is this yeah. something to be concerned about yet? Or yeah, maybe I'll rope in um, the most recent CMHC uh, mortgage industry report. And arrears are up, like they're trending up, and they're trending up fastest in the biggest mortgages. So if you pull up the CMHCs, and I did a YouTube video on this as well. I'm, I'm a big YouTube guy. But are you just using this show to plug your YouTube yeah, that's content? It. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so. But it, like, you know, if you're a visual learner, charts and stuff, I'm mm. big into charts. So I do green screens on Instagram, YouTube, and uh, TikTok. So I made my studio into it. It has a TV behind me so I can do real life green screens with YouTube. So anyway, this chart shows, if you look, it shows the mortgages by the size of them. So, you know, you have a, a, under 100,000, 100 to 250, 250 to 500, I think 550 to 600, and then goes 850 plus. 850 plus is like, it's it's going, man. It's full send right now. It, like all the other ones are kind of just meh, whatever. But it, big mortgages are failing the fastest. If that's the, that's the soundbite right there, that's going to cut really nicely into a video. And since we're recording remotely here, it's great because when we cut it into a video, it'll look like you're sitting inside of a potato or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not in the studio today with you. We're doing this one remote, which means you look great. And again, I look like a half-baked potato. Okay, let's let's keep it going. Let's keep going on the mortgage topic here. Dan, what's the next heading we've got? The worst off borrowers could see mortgage payments spike upwards of 70%. So as the holidays approach, Canadians are uncharacteristically hesitant to spend. A new report from Desjardins reveals. Instead, the report says consumers are parking money in their bank accounts with around $175 billion placed in term deposits at chartered banks over the past year, making an increase of roughly 40%. Wow, that's no joke. Royce Mendez, Managing Director and Head of Macro Strategy for Desjardins, who is 
an absolute all-star to follow on Twitter, by the way. Like one of my favorite, he's him and Francis Donald, probably my favorite two economists in Canada right now. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that pick favorites, but I just did. So (laughs) he writes that it is not hard to believe that Canadians with looming mortgage renewals are getting their financial houses in order before the coming storm. So this is fascinating from my perspective to see Canadians saving like, because household savings have been a bit of a roller coaster in Canada. Like we saw, we saw them go way up. And then we saw them crash right back down because everybody burned through them all trying to pay for inflation. And then- Or buying GameStop. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like levering into pre-cons or whatever. Yeah, a lot of, lot of that going on, yeah. And then then you saw credit card debt ramp up thereafter. So Canadians were just stacking all that, that inflation spending on the credit card. It's just interesting to think of Canadians saving money anticipatorily to service debt. It's scary anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I before, I mean before we go on Royce Mendez, that great economist but also great name. I re- I remember as a kid whenever we watched family movies on VHS which uh I don't know if you remember that Dan, man. I'm sure. No, 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 I was strictly <laughs> DVD generation. You know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Z whatever. We're the calling. same. We're I know I'm not a Gen age. Z because I call Come it a Gen Z, not a Gen Z. Yeah, there you go. So we used to when we'd watch these movies, we'd we'd always watch all the way to the very end. Like we watch all the credits and we actually had a list of all the craziest and coolest names out there. And Adam Royce might have made it on there, but uh, you there should some pull really that cool list ones. up and and send them all cold DMs on LinkedIn now just for fun. Are you looking to buy real estate? Yeah. <laughs> so Mendez adds that rate resets will be a significant drain on the household finances in the coming years. I agree with him on that one. Yep. And this is where like, you know, when we talk again, going back to the delinquency thing, it's like, it's not hard to believe that Canadian delinquencies are at record lows when you see the list of things above where it's like that these are things that already exist. It's like, don't have to pay your, your penalty if you're in stress and want to sell. You know, make lump sum payments, exempt from requalifying under the stress test, waive fees, but this, that. It's like there's so you like almost have to be deliberate about not paying your mortgage with a big six to, for it to show up as an arrears, really. Well, they, they don't want you to not pay your mortgage, right? So it's like, how many band aid solutions can we give to people? How many bridges, like, you know, lifelines can we give to these people to? to allow them to not do it because they don't want to start taking possession of houses and having to sell them for, for appraised value and all that stuff, right? They're in the business of banking, not not real estate. And we're already in a housing crisis. I don't think it would look good on anybody if the bank started to, you know, start to take everyone's homes away. Yeah, and I feel like, like they really honestly, like they don't want these things to show up on their books either, right? So like- No, it's not a good look. It's not yeah. a good look. Yeah, and I, and I think they do like they work it out really hard. Actually, like, Contextually, this is an it was an honest mistake, but I've had a mortgage payment bounce before, and Damn, and how could yeah, you? I know, I know, I feel like I'm like uh, you of all people. I feel like I'm being really vulnerable with the audience right now. <laughs> it was a very honest mistake, but anyway, within like hours, got a phone call. Like everything good, man? Like they're like you, you yeah. good over there? You, like and you, you yeah, lose like, your yeah, job? Yeah. Did you lose a leg? You still yeah, good? <laughs> yeah, they're like, and so they're like, yeah, and so anyway, so. I would imagine that like a real missed mortgage payment. I was just like, yeah, I was sorry. It was a financial disorganization. I didn't catch total mistake. Money's in the account. Do the second poll, whatever. But you think about this stuff and it's like, if that's, if that's me in a situation that was they're probably like, imagine how, what if somebody, what if I were like, no, I'm in a rough shape here. Like, what can you do for me, boss? They're probably, they probably got a list. Oh, do you want this, 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 right? Like Alec. Oh, we've got these 15 different products for you. But so, so that would be, I mean, it could be a reason why delinquencies are so low in Canada. Anyway, 
The article goes on to say that should markets be right about the path for interest rates, which it doesn't seem that they are given bond yields are falling pretty sharply right now and all fixed rates are moving down in the next couple of weeks. Hmm. The worst off borrowers see upwards of 70% increases in their monthly mortgage payments, he warns. While some borrowers will look to extend amortizations of their mortgages. So this would basically mean, okay, you bought a house on a 25-year AM, you paid it off, you finished a mortgage term. So you're now down to 20 years. They would want to roll you typically into a 20-year AM because stay on the AM schedule. So you actually pay off your mortgage, not Buzz Lightyear, Infinity and Beyond amortizations. And that's a Vince Gaetano original, by the way. Not a original. Shout out to Vince. <laughs> Absolute all-star. If you don't follow Vince, he's great. Check him out. He's He calls himself the wise old owl, so I'm not calling him old by saying this, but <laughs> absolute beauty. Great, great guy. Others will opt to make lump sum payments to soften the blow, Mendez explains. So what do you think, Nick? What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, look, people are in, a, are in tough spots. And again, I think the banks want to continue being banks and, and they want to, I mean, they have to answer to their shareholders as well, right? So they don't want their books to be full of these ugly missed payments because guess what the next news articles are going to be about, right? And we've already seen, you know, TD cuts jobs and boom, TD's front and center in the news. Yeah. And it's interesting because I bet I, I took the bait on that one and it actually just ended up being them like not backfilling their attrition. So like you, ha- you have like a natural churn of like 3000 jobs and they just didn't rehire to fill those jobs. So it was like a soft cutting of jobs, right? So, so was that fake news? I fake news that. Yeah, oh I my totally goodness! Totally fa- accidentally fake news did on. I mean, I read a headline that fake news did to me, and then I re fake news did, re gifted it. <laughs> the the, the fake news broken episode. telephone. There we go. But yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add, right? I mean, I think I think Royce provides some great insights here. Um, and I th- again, I think the banks are are going to bank and and not want to get into the crazy world of real estate if they don't have to. But on that note, let's keep chatting on mortgages, Dan. So this article is from the Canadian Mortgage Trends, which is, again, a great place to get a lot of great mortgage information and resources it's called RBC Bracing for Renewal Impact, three quarters of its mortgages to see higher rates by 2026. So the article says, despite interest rates having been elevated for over a year, Canada's largest bank, being RBC, said that the bulk of the impact is yet to be felt for nearly three quarters of his mortgage portfolio coming up for renewal over the next three years. This shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. We've talked about this a ton on the show. And as you've been keeping up with this kind of looming mortgage crisis, you know that it hasn't really been felt yet. So, quote, To date, less than a third of mortgage clients have seen their payments impacted by higher rates. And that's from RBC's chief risk officer, Graham Hempworth. He said that during the bank's earnings call, the bank will see 14% or $52.2 billion of its mortgage portfolio come up for renewal in 2024 and another 25%, $89.5 billion in 2025, roughly 90% of those fixed are those are fixed rate mortgages that currently have an interest rate between 3.1 and 3.6%. The published rates by the big banks currently range around a good rate these days is about 5.8. And then we see all the way up to about 7.5. Of course, that depends on your term and your mortgage type. So article goes on to say RBC sees interest rates easing and stable house prices in 2024. In running its forecasts, RBC acknowledged that there remains a lot of uncertainty how credit plays out over 2024, but that high interest rates and rising unemployment rate will be key influencing factors. And actually, quickly interject with another data point from that 
the fall economic statement from the government that they expect the unemployment rate to hit 6.5% next year, which is like, that's a, not a good unemployment rate, by the way. No. And, and, I, and I would say, take the over and over under on that. I'll, t- I'll, I'll do whatever the opposite is. You want to, you want to make a bet right now? Uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, I, I, you know, being the optimist of the, of the group here, I'm, I'm hoping we don't, we don't hit six and a half. I mean, that, that's a lot of people in, in, in tough positions. And, and that's not people that are just like, ah, you know what? I'm, I'm good to just chill. I know a lot of really smart people that are kind of, you know, in between jobs right now or, or aggressively looking for jobs. I just had a family member was a top sales guy, young, ambitious, and, and he applied to like literally well over a hundred jobs. Sorry. He said he almost did over a hundred interviews and interviews these days. I mean, Dan, you and I are both entrepreneurs, so we're lucky enough not have to go through the rigorous interviewing process these days, but like you go through like six or seven interviews just, just before you get a job and you're up against hundreds of other people. It's tough, man. So I'm going to, I'm going to be the the good guy here and say, I really hope we don't hit six and a half. Yeah, me too. But I think it's going to be far higher than that. <laughs> you might be right. We'll revisit. There's hoping and then there's what I think, right? Yeah, so there's hoping and then there's being yeah. a realist, right? Yeah. You're a realist, aren't you, Dan? Great name. Yeah. I, I so try to be, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> So anyway, they go on to say that, you know, that they see the rates starting to pull back in the second half of next year, stable home prices going forward, but it does anticipate the unemployment rate currently at 5.8% will continue to rise and likely peak by the middle of next year. So I'm interested to see where it peaks at, but I think um, there's probably a little bit of pain ahead. Yeah, agreed. The, I mean, in, five five point eight to six point five. We don't have a we don't have a long way to go, right? Like no. that's that's close. Yeah, it's true. And 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 we're on trend for it. Like yeah. job vacancies are declining, right? So and job postings are declining, and population is quite frankly just outgrowing jobs. Like so, we're actually still seeing jobs. Like job, there are new jobs being created, but but population but is growing seen, faster. Yeah, and we've also seen. Rate. And I don't know if we've covered this on the show or this was one of the news articles in our uh, newsletter that we do in um, in participation with Patter. So that that's great. If you guys want to check that out, it's in the show notes. It's it's also been a lot harder and we've seen a lot less people start businesses over the last few years since kind of the pandemic. It's been a huge hit to, to entrepreneurs and, and small businesses. And I mean, that's where a lot of great jobs come from, right? And that's where a lot of innovation comes from. That's that actually just got back to trend like a couple. Oh, it did. Of, yeah, okay. like okay. I think. Yeah, so I think within the last like month, okay. uh, n- number good. of businesses with one or more hired employees. So all of those things where you're uh, like selling stuff on Instagram or whatever, Nick, where it's just you that's hired, those don't count. But like one or more <laughs> hi- hired employees. Yeah, though that like if you draw the long term trend, uh, we may all. You know what? I'm just going to take this chart and I'm going to pop it into the next uh, pattern newsletter so people can see it. It's a good chart. Yeah, sign up for that newsletter, guys. It's out every uh, every Thursday. We we actually don't even talk about it much on the show from from what we put in there. But like, there's always some cool stats and really great data points. A lot of social currency that Dan and I love to to share with you guys. Dan, we're we're getting tight on time here. I really want to make sure we get to these last two articles because this this STR one that we pulled from uh, a Twitter thread. Why don't you start us off here? This is a good one. Yeah, so this is fascinating from my perspective. So we know that there's a little bit of a a siege on Airbnb right now at the municipal level. So they're being shut down at an alarming rate or or regulated 
more heavily at an alarming rate. And then the within that same fall economic statement, within the press releases wrapped around it, Trudeau and Freeland both said they would start getting tough on Airbnb. And basically what it what it was, what what their policy came out as. And and the Toronto Star was great. They reported this a couple, they leaked this a couple of days prior, but it was that they would not no longer allow non-compliant Airbnb operators to tax deduct property expenses against their Airbnb income. It's bold of them to assume that all non-compliant Airbnb operators are even claiming that income. But anyway. <laughs> bold and, and slightly naive, maybe. Yeah. But anyway, so the the tweet says, should you change your SDR property to a regular rental property? So a long-term rental. So you, you know, you're you're like, I'm tired of all these rules. I can't even follow along. I'm going to switch it back to a regular rental property. And you were claiming you were one of the people who was honest and claiming the that S, that STR income as STR income, short-term rental income, which is considered by the CRA to be a commercial activity. This is important. You could lose $100,000 or more by converting from an STR to a long-term rental right away because of this little-known rule. This comes from Canadian tax tips on, or Canadian tax guy on Twitter, by the way. STR properties are not treated the same as rental properties. So there is so little understanding about tax for SDR properties and there's so many key details. So you're probably wondering, that's an alarming statement. How the heck could you lose over $100,000 on your Airbnb? Well, as Dan just said, STR properties are generally treated as commercial properties instead of residential rental properties producing residential rental income. And there are a ton of implications to this. A major implication is that you have to have self-assessed GST and HST if you convert your STR property to a rental property. Dan, what does that mean? That means that let's say two years ago, you brought a property for a million dollars in Ontario, you use it for STR, then because of these new rules, you now want to convert the STR to a long-term rental. You may have to self-assess GST or HST because you're now taking, you're going from a commercial operation, buying yourself out of that functionally, meaning you would have to charge yourself HST on the value of the property and pay that to the CRA. On the so, value of the property it has nothing to do with the income, right? Value and again, of the property. That property here is a million dollars. So it's a pure cost and you're not gonna get that money back. Now again, in this example, assuming the value is still one million dollars and the HST is thirteen percent, some serious math here, that's a hundred and thirty thousand dollars you have to pay to the CRA. So few people understand this. This is one of the many tax implications of having an STR. And there are so many of these situations, some that can be very beneficial, but some that can be very costly. So again, this is from a Canadian tax guy on, we keep on saying Twitter. Thankfully, Elon doesn't listen to the show. I don't think it's actually X. Go follow a Canadian tax guy for a lot of great content like this and, and save yourself that money. Yeah. So I feel like it makes me wonder, and I was talking to a couple of guys at uh, Steve Saretsky's event about this, the uh, the Looney Hour we did it. We we did a panel at their event, yeah, that uh, was which fun. was great. It was a blast. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for everybody who listens to our show who came out to to see us there. And Steve had done a real or a YouTube short. He's a YouTube guy. So he, like he's YouTube famous actually, I think. But he was talking to me about this and 
we, we had a client actually that dinner where we went out with those the lenders from the east coast mm. they were saying this, he was saying the same thing he's converting a couple of, and his his tax guy told them the same thing so it's either something that was totally overlooked by the cra which i kind of would find hard to believe i like these are just smart people and taxes their job so then the the next question is like is it almost like a trap that they've created and and i don't want to think that you know that the folks who are doing this stuff are that malicious but you know they basically you know did they just kind of tee people up for this this tax grab now that the government is basically not allowing non-compliant airbnb operators to tax deduct property expenses against their airbnb income so i guess only time will tell when if and when they start actually going after people who are now who were claiming str income and now are claiming LTR income and they start saying, hey, if we need to see that self-assessment. I don't know. Scary. It's a big question mark right now. And the, the biggest question mark for people in the STR space. So pay attention. Talk to your accountant. Yeah, definitely talk to your accountant on this one. Dan, do you think we got some time for this last little article here? Just a quick blurb, and then I'm going to get you to read a couple data points in the chart because this one is very interesting. This is from The Economist. These are the world's most expensive cities. The global cost of living crisis that began in 2022 is now much of part of daily life as it's entering the vernacular. This is fantastic. Causey lives. British, <laughs> British slang for the crisis. Causey lives, uh, which is as good cost as a, of living. Almost as yeah. good as a woolly jumper. Oh, it's amazing. I love that. So Causey lives, British slang for the crisis, was recently named Australia's word of the year by the Macquarie Dictionary. The latest worldwide cost of living survey by the E. IU, which is a sister company of The Economist, confirms that inflation remains a high, sorry, worldwide high. The prices of 200 products and services that it tracks rose by an average of 7.4% over the past year. This is down slightly from 8.1% in 2022, but remains well above the average of 2.9% of the previous five years. You really start to put things in perspective. So 2.9 in the last five years. We hit 8.1 in 2022. We're at 7.4 right now. But this chart and map that Dan is going to get a couple data points from reveals which cities are the most expensive. Dan, can you hit me with the five most expensive and then the four least expensive? Yeah, so this is going to people are not going to be happy when they hear people aren't even going to believe this. I didn't even really believe it, to be honest. So I, I have my thoughts on this. So but anyway, most expensive New York, L.A., San Francisco, Houston, and Seattle are tied for fourth and fifth. Least expensive, okay? Least expensive cities in North America. Toronto, Calgary, <laughs> Montreal, and San Juan. I Toronto. Like, yes. Can I get that list again? So, so here's so here's my here's my thought. Okay. I think that this was done in USD and Everything appears affordable in Canada when you're buying in USD. Yeah, especially if you're buying, especially if you're living in New York, you're like Toronto. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, and it's so it's that USD CAD exchange the that skews. I think because I if this was relative to income, I could be wrong, and I have to. I like I downloaded the. EIU Economist Intelligence Unit teaser, but I don't have the full report. And I see if I can find a copy of it. But if it's for if it's indexed to income, then I just don't know how. Like I don't know anybody who 
it lives in Calgary, sure, but like Toronto, I don't, I don't know anybody who lives in that city and is like, yeah, I feel like this is a pretty affordable place to live. Like, this has got to be in the the top least expensive places in North America. Just, just crazy. Yeah, I mean, you've got like Minneapolis and and Boston and and Charlotte on there, but you know, somehow. Uh... Calgary and Toronto and Vancouver are apparently just in line with Detroit from an expense perspective by the looks of it. So uh, interesting stuff. This probably deserves a revisit either either on the show here or on one of the other social media accounts. But I think that's it today for, for us, Dan. Any, any closing remarks? I think we should wrap up maybe just a little reminder that we are running a course and we're running a sale on it until Christmas, maybe till the new year. Like, what do you call it? Boxing Day, Black Friday. I think all of the retailers started extending their Black Friday sales till Christmas because it sounds like retail's probably maybe leading into recessionary indicators right now. Check out our course. We we are really proud of it. We put a lot of time and energy into making it good. We worked with a group of a great group of of listeners to the show, people just like yourselves to make it really really exceptional. And we'd love to have you become part of it because it's it's really more of a community than just a, an instruction course. We got regular experts coming on to, you know, we got a lawyer, we got some home renovators that can quote stuff like instantly. We've got accountants so you can ask whether or not you have to, you know, go bankrupt because of your switch over from Airbnb to long-term <laughs> rental. Property managers that that know tenant law inside and out. We've got mortgage experts on the commercial, the residential, and the private lending side. Yeah, man, I don't think we're we're leaving no stone unturned here. We want it to be like the best, the the biggest and the best, the go to kind of real estate investing school, and that's www.realist.ca. So go check that out. We'd love to see you in there. Really would, honestly. We want more people because it's a great community and we want to well, keep and, sharing and that. It really is one of those power and number things, right? The more people that, that join, the the better it is. So yeah, go check that out. You know, we're getting close for, for Christmas sweater orders here and uh, we got events coming up uh, the second Tuesday of the month. So hopefully see everyone out to, to those. Those are super welcoming and, and chill. If you don't own any real estate and you have an interest in them, go. If you own a ton of real estate and if you want to talk about it, head to them. If you're a real estate professional, a mortgage professional, anything like that, go to the event and I guarantee you'll have a good time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.